What's up, meeples? On this spooktacular week's episode, we talk about our top five favourite games to break out during the Halloween season. Along with Paul bringing you the weekly news and Kickstarter campaigns and event information, this is the podcast with Crawler Gaming Community. What's up guys, my name is Jason. My name's Ian. We are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. So pop the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's go on with today's episode. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about the games that we've purchased and had delivered this week, and trust me, there's a lot on Ian's part this week. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And then we'll cover the uh, few games that we've managed to get in this week, followed by our main topic of this week, which is going to be a great one. With it being Halloween week, we have decided to uh, compare our list of our top five games to play at Halloween. And we're going to start this week with the games that we have purchased and the games that we've had delivered. So, Ian, I'm going to let you start because I know that your list is substantially longer than mine. I may have had a small spending bender this week. I had the joys of going down to Brighton with my friends, which was great fun. And I went to see um, Dave's Comics as well as Dice Saloon both of which are fantastic shops down there. And I may have wandered back with Betrayal Legacy, which is a legacy version of a game we are going to talk about later, so I will leave it for later on. An expansion for Robinson Crusoe, which is a fantastic survival co-op survival game um, set with like different missions that you've got to work through, and it's ridiculously hard but great fun. I've still yet to get Jason to play that one, but it's on the cards to do soon. It is indeed. It's been all the way to Wales with us, and we still never got around to playing it. <laughs> But I have played that game since, and it is really good fun. I also bought myself a copy of Skull, which we've talked about many a time on here. And I bought paints to start painting a lot of my miniatures. Uh, the lovely Kiri, uh, um, uh, one of my really close friends and one of our comic book shop um, players, is slowly teaching me how to paint at the moment. I have been on a not-so-big uh, <laughs> spending binge. I have actually only purchased one solitary game this week and it's not even for me which is the most depressing thing um i purchased my first castle panic for my young son so yeah that that was my purchase this week um i feel rather empty so i'm i'm imagining that next week is going to be uh painful on on my bank balance so we're going to move on to the games that we've played this week and again it's been an incredibly busy week for both of us and there's been very few games that have actually been played So, I know you guys are probably sick of hearing about it now, but um, last week I finally got to try the last part of my latest expansion for Downforce with another six-player game. Great fun. I didn't come anywhere close to winning again, um, which was hilarious. But no, I really enjoyed that, and that spent most of our Wednesday night last week playing that and getting that rolling. Yeah, again, I didn't manage to jump in on that game because at the end of the day, the community that turn up to our events, they always come first. And I did watch that game again, and it was the uh, the map that I was very much interested in with the animal mechanics, uh, which was with the snake, elephant, and antelope. antelope. 
and they do change the game a lot. They um, they move when the first car passes their own lines, but they basically make the track single track at certain points. And it's the first game of Downforce I've ever played where we played like a th- over a third of the deck before we'd even passed the first corner. It was really quite worrying. I literally, my own car, my own personal car, only just crossed the line due to an ability. Wow. That's, and I finished that, last. Yeah. That, that's impressive. I mean, I've never known anyone to run out of cars. No. So... And I have one other game. I am going to give a shout out again. It was one of the reasons we went down to Brighton this week. It's not technically a board game or a tabletop game of any sort. But we went down to Globals in Brighton Marina and did a um, neon uh, in the dark uh, crazy golf. And it was amazing. It's all Halloween themed at the moment. Um, So we had Halloween and dinosaurs. You couldn't really ask much more from me, really. (laughs) And yeah, I was very, very, very impressed. I'll definitely be going back there. So shout out to Globals as well. Yeah, uh, I will echo that. I obviously didn't manage to get down there with you this weekend. However, I have been down to Globals and it is great fun. The neon dinosaurs, it's like walking around a game of Dinosaur Island. (laughs) It really is amazing. Great fun to play down there. So I I will go back and uh, maybe we can have a podcast out. We might even take Paul with us. The games I've played this week, I managed to play a game this week with a good friend of mine. It's a game that I haven't played for so, so long, yet at the time that I used to play it, I was playing it probably 20 plus times a week, which was Star Wars Destiny, which is a card and dice based game. Uh, Unfortunately, it is a game that is no longer in existence. It's, I think it came out of production last year sometime um, which is a real shame because the game was very very good unfortunately it uh, it dwindled in numbers and then fantasy flight games just didn't see the necessity to keep it going but it reignited my flame for playing that game and because i've got the first three sets in its entirety i can make ridiculous amount of decks so i i can see me playing that a lot over the next few weeks yeah it was good fun I didn't get to play in the games, but again, I'm another fan of Destiny. It's a very good game. I mean, it doesn't take much to get me hooked on a card game in, uh, anyway, and it's got Star Wars on it. Can't ask for much more, but no, I do enjoy that game as well. Yep, I can well see us playing it at some point very soon as well. Come at me, bro. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, not a very big section of the games that we played this week, but they were the games that we played this week. But we're, we are going to move on now to our main topic of the week which is our very first list based episode and this section is going to be a case of it's my top five games to play at halloween versus ian's top five games to play at halloween so do we think this list is going to be any different could be let's start this what is your first game that you love to break out at halloween um, I'm going to start the list with probably my least favorite of the of the ones and that's not that's not to degrade the game or anything but it, it hasn't seen the table for a while. It's a really interesting deck building game. It's called Xenoshift. And I've put it in here because it's horror themed. It's a bit like the old alien style films um, and predator style films. You've got It's a co-op game, but it's also a deck builder sort of thing where you each get a line of four enemies and you can build up to four troops of your own. And they just face off till there's nothing left. And then you have like equipment cards you can give them and item cards you can drop in and like event bits. But that's about as far as the co-op side of it goes. You have to all survive because you have a central health um, and a central base sort of thing with health on it. But it's also difficult because there's not a lot you can play on each other's boards. And it can be a little bit on the slower side sometimes when you have to go to to make it co-op. You kind of have to go one player at a time, but you can all go at the same time. 
but then you're more likely to miss the options to help each other. Yeah. So it's quite a difficult one, and just more to explain to people and get people helping each other rather than all all me, 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 me. But actually, as a game, if you can get people going as co-op, it's really, really, really good. So it's one that needs to see the table again. It's been a while since it's had a um, outing. But yeah, I, I, as I said, the artwork on the cards are amazing. A very dark, very gory, you know, it's proper horror style game. I have two versions of it. I kickstarted both. I backed the original Xenoshift Onslaught through Kickstarter. Got all the mini expansions that go with that. I also managed to get the sequel Xenoshift Dreadmere. But I didn't get much of the way of extras and any other expansions that went along with that as I didn't have the money at the time, which was a shame. But yeah, I would definitely I would definitely go back to this game over and over again. But it's it's one of those ones you more have to get everyone in the mood to play and you all have to genuinely be willing to want to help and work together. And that's not always an easy thing to do. No, I've got to say, I've only played that game a couple of times and both times with with yourself. And it's a very, very good game. A uh, very very good deck building game. I I'm a big fan of deck building games, as we know. It's probably the type of game that I've sunk the most money into. But I've only ever played the the original Xenoshift. I've ne- I never played the uh, the second one. So I mean, if I was to ask you which which version of that would you say you prefer? Would you say it's the second one where they've maybe learnt from their mistakes, or maybe they've gone too far with the second one? I think it's difficult. I think I prefer the cards and the theme of the original one a lot more. But as you said, as games come out with standalone expansions and stuff like that, it genuinely fixes issues with the game. So I'd happily play both, I think is the weirdest. They do work with each other. I've mixed and matched with them before. Yeah, it's the sort of thing I think, you know, I've just built it into one bigger game now. So that is your your first one on your list. And I'll bring the first one out on my list. And these are in no order whatsoever. Um, It's just literally as I've got them written down to remind myself what I want to talk about. (laughs) So the first one is actually probably the newest game that's on my list, which is Horrified. Uh, Horrified is a one to five player cooperative pick up and deliver style game from Ravensburger, uh, who also make one of my favorite games of all time. It was released just last year in 2019 and it can be used for ages 10 and up. So it's a pretty good sort of, I suppose you could class it as a family horror style game. It's not too gory, let's put it that way. Um, and it has just a 60 to 90 minute playtime, which I think is is really good. Uh, the object of the game is players work together in a normal game, taking on three different classic monsters, which can include a variety, but just some of them off the top of my head is Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula, The Mummy. Yeah, it's all the classic old, like early um, horror film things and they are really well done in this game as well they are yes incredibly well done it's a very easy game to play basically each turn a player performs actions up to the chosen actions permitted by their characters which i think is interesting rather than a set amount you perform those actions with the ultimate aim of fighting the monsters which i really like because to fight the monsters you are essentially playing a mini game um, it has like a separate mini game where it can be you've got to get a with the with the swamp monster for example you've got to get the boat through the swamp um, and and things like that it, it's a really cool mechanic that i really like players will lose the game if the terror track reaches seven which is really not hard at all or the monster draw deck is depleted obviously you win the game if you manage to kill all the monsters so really easy fun game to play this actually, I believe, won some awards uh, this year as well. So very, very justified. Ravensburger have 
knocked it out of the park with this game, I think. They've been doing well in general, actually. Um, but no, this game, I've played it a couple of times. I love it. It's still on my to-buy list. And again, I, I will play this happily at any chance I get. It's got co-op written on it for a start, so you've already got me interested. Oh, yeah. But... I have one. I mean, the one complaint I have about this game is your the monsters are are miniatures, which is great. But I don't like the fact that in the retail version, the player pawns are just cardboard. They're not. They're not miniatures. So I think I think that was a real a real trick. Mistrick there. So other than that, I've got no complaints about it whatsoever. Really, really good game. So moving back over to my list, I'm going to go for a nice, quick, family-friendly game as well. One that I got introduced to this year and I managed to buy during lockdown. I think may even be after we started the podcast, like really back early on. And it's called Ghost Fighting Treasure Hunters. And I adore this game. I've heard I heard good things about it. I got it really cheap second hand market and I thought I'd take a punt on it. And we can't get enough of it. It's such a simple game. It's two to four players. And the basic pretense is you have four children trying to rescue eight gems from a haunted house. And you have a small deck of cards that have the letters of each room written on them, two fighting dice, and a movement dice. And your your turn literally consists of roll the movement dice. On a one to five, you'll be drawing from the ghost deck. A six is a free, free move, basically. And you can move spaces around the house shortly afterwards. But the second action that you do, once you've rolled the dice, if you've revealed a ghost you reveal a ghost card off the top of the deck. That will either be, uh, in the advanced version of the game, it'll either be one of the letters for one of the rooms, it'll be a locked door of either the green or the blue colours, which will lock every door of that colour, or it will be a shuffle the deck, uh, shuffle the discard pile back into the deck card, or ones that do the same but make you play cards first. So every time you reveal a letter, you place a ghost in that room. Once three ghosts are in the room, you upgrade to a bigger ghost. If six of those reach the board, you just outright lose. And if you are in a room with a bigger ghost, you need to fight it with a friend to be able to actually take it down. But yeah, otherwise, you need to move around the the building and collect the eight gems. One of the advanced rules for this game makes you collect them in an order. They all have a number on them. But if not, you can just play it on a quicker game and getting them out as quickly as possible. So you kind of have to micromanage the ghosts while going along. If you do choose to fight the ghost, which is the next option after your movement, that you roll one of the ghost fighting dice, the black ones. They either have a blank... A red ghost on, which is the big ones, and they only count for attacking the big ghosts. Or a regular ghost, which removes one of the normal ghosts from the room. If you fight with another person in the room, one person can join you and you get to roll two dice. And then the last option on the turn is to either pick up or drop off a jewel. So, And that is literally as simple as the game gets. It is run around the house as quickly as possible, collecting those gems. Particularly if you can, in order, makes it a far more fun game. We've tried that once recently now, and it definitely increases the difficulty of a very simple game. But yeah, it was for such a cheap price. You know, it was a really, really good game. And I'm actually now trying to hunt down the expansion for it as well. Yep. Again, I have to echo everything you've said about that game. It is a fantastic game. It's obviously not one that I personally own. Um, However, I can well see me buying it at some point, providing I can find it for the right price. Uh, Same as yourself. I really do hope that you manage to track down the expansion for that. I mean, before we went live on the mic today... (laughs) Uh, he was squealing like a little girl because he thought he'd found one at a reasonably good price, but unfortunately the postage was a bit of a killer on that one, I yeah, believe. I found it in the um, United States, which meant that the postage was nearly the same cost as the actual expansion. On to my next one on my list. 
Again, no particular order, but this one I do really, really like. And the reason I like this game is because of the short playtime and the fact that it is a really nice age rating. So this one is great for during the day, for example, on Halloween and you've got the family round. And that is One Night Ultimate Werewolf. Now, obviously, the werewolf franchise, there are many, many, many variants of this game. But this one in particular has my attention so, One Night Ultimate Werewolf is a quick, easy setup, 5 to 10 minute social deduction style game for 3 to 10 players, which can be of ages 8 and up. I think you can personally do it with 6 and up. And it is published by Bezier Games. I've probably got that wrong. Players work together to try and figure out who among them is a werewolf. After players receive the randomized characters during the night phase of the game. After this, you can use the app, which will have all players close their eyes and will then get instructed to perform actions when prompted. All while providing some background music to really set that sort of immersive scene. After all the players have performed their night actions, you will be prompted to reopen your eyes. And then you have just three minutes to talk amongst yourselves about your experience of what happened through the night. And in that three minutes, you've got to make up your own mind as to who you think the werewolf is. At the end of the three minutes, the timer will sound and you all have to point at who you think the werewolf is. Whoever has the most fingers pointed at them has to turn over their card. If you find the werewolf, you all win. If you find the tanner, he wins and only he wins. And if you pick anyone else, you all lose. Very, very simple game. Essentially, as long as you can see a picture, you can play this game. It is a fantastic game. I know that Ian hasn't actually played this game yet, and this is a game that I think we are going to be breaking out possibly in the next week. In or the so. next week or so, with Halloween being here. Yeah. So back to my list. I have just noticed. I've just been back through my list. Every single game is a co-op game. So this was one of my, one of the games I personally don't actually own, but a good friend of mine does, and it's called Mysterium. So it's for two to seven players. One person will play as the ghost. Everyone else plays as a medium. And the idea of the game is through visions, we have to work out to help the ghost remember how they were murdered, who did the crime, where it took place, and what weapon caused their death. To do this, the ghost hands out um, just random, like, artwork images that might have little hints or themes in them to what they're trying to portray across to the, the players and each turn is basically an hour and you have a set amount of time in which to try and figure this out and the more you figure out the easier it becomes for what the ghost can tell you but they they are not allowed to talk throughout the entire game so it's really really interesting and it's a very clever game all done with a lot of imagery so and then at the very end they have you have to work out which of the mediums has all the set of matching items for the one that actually relates to the ghost's death which is really clever that actually sounds really good fun it is a game unfortunately that i have not had the pl the privilege of playing but i have heard nothing but good things about that game so i'm hoping that's going to be a game that we will break out this week I will um see what i can do with my friend kiri yeah and uh yeah being being that it's halloween this week i can imagine that next week you can expect to hear that we've played a lot of these games Okay, on to my next game, and this one is going to be Mansions of Madness. Now, I have a feeling that this one is going to appear on a lot of people's lists to play at Halloween, and there's a good reason for that. It is another co-op game. This time, though, it's using a hand management and area movement mechanic for one to five players, age 14 plus, with a longer two to two and a half hour gameplay. 
and it's produced by FFG. It's based in the same universe as Eldritch Horror. This game comes with a very immersive app uh, to guide you through the game, where you must work together to search for answers in the cursed hallways of Arkham's mansions by completing complex puzzles, searching and collecting various tools, weapons and information to battle the inevitable monsters, insanity and eventual death. And death is it's incredibly likely in this game. It's a very, very difficult <laughs> game to actually succeed in. The game has four different scenarios of varying lengths and difficulties. And to be honest, the game is its just a great game with a, with a medium weight complexity to it. However, this game is not a quick game. It's one of those, it's, it's the key game of the evening, if you like, whereas a lot of my other games tend to be either before or after this one. It's not heavy enough to really require a palate cleanser afterwards. However, very, very good game. Can't recommend it enough. Yep, it's one I haven't had the chance to play yet. So again, something that's on my horizon or something to have a look at. I'm going to bring another game in now. And it's another one of my favourites. Quite an old game. Came back out in 2008. We've played it quite a lot. I have all the expansions for it. And it's called Ghost Stories. Surprise, surprise, another co-op game. And it's where you and up to three other Taoists uh, are trying to work together to save a village, save and protect a village from the incarnations of the Lord of Hell, Weng Fu, and his legion of ghosts before they haunt the town and recover the ashes that will allow him to return to life. Um, As your Taoist monks, you work together, wandering around a three by three grid, trying to attack the ghosts that are at the end of the, you know, of each of the areas. You can only attack what the ones that you're adjacent to and each one requires certain colors of symbols rolled and extra tokens added to try and beat it a bit like our thunderbird sort of games where you want to bolster your normal attacks sort of thing um it's a really difficult game if three of the as the ghosts arrive they can haunt the tiles send ghosts out at you and haunt tiles on the village if three of the tiles get haunted you just outright lose the draw pile empties out of and the you haven't beaten the final boss who is set near like the last few cards of the deck you lose and if all of the monks die you lose you know there's plenty of ways to lose and the only way to win is to actually um, defeat Wang Fu himself we've had a good laugh of this over um over the years it's it's very difficult it's one of those high difficulty curve games but then which co-op games aren't really I think uh, the running theme here is, especially with the with the horror themed games and, and general games that come out around, you know, always see the table around the Halloween part. They tend to be co-op based, and they also tend to be insanely difficult to actually win with multiple ways to lose, but only ever one way to win. Yeah. So yeah, that's another great game. Uh, it's another one I would very much like to play very very soon moving on to my next one i think this is my fourth one now and this game is not only in my top five to break out a halloween it is a game that i will break out at pretty much any point of the year and that is villainous disney villainous is my second game from ravensburger to make this list but it's a player versus player game which is a nice change from the rest of my list to be fair <laughs> uh, they do exist they do exist, yet yeah. we don't only play co-op games, it's just mostly co-op. Like I said, a player versus player game where players take on the role of a classic animated Disney villain trying to complete their evil schemes no matter the cost. This is achieved by using good hand management and not being afraid to stick it to the other players and the other villains using the dreaded fate mechanic. Each villain must complete their own goal, which will be which will come on your player boards. And if you complete that, you win the game. But 
all the time that you're aim- you're going for your own goals, you will also be fighting off the those do-good heroes, you know, that appear out of your fate decks, while also fending off all of the other players which are trying to stop you from completing your goals. The game takes about an hour and a half, with experienced players maybe playing it in about an hour. Um, it has a below-medium complexity, and is for anyone aged 10 and up, and can be played with two to six players so it's a pretty good player count um so yeah i i absolutely love this game i can't say enough good things about it just you know if you only own the base game that's enough you know if you want to buy the expansions great but the base game is enough to break out every halloween it really is great for the value you know and it's great value as well so moving on to my last entry of a top five but it's still not my favourite horror game. We will come back to that. I'm going to bring to the table Zombie Side. I can't do a horror list without this making making it onto my list. It's one of my favourite games. It's up to a six-player co-op. I now have on my latest Kickstarter, I, th- I believe I can now go up to 12 players, which is going to be immense when that turns up. I have nearly everything possible for this the, the basic version of Zombie Side going. I never did the space or the medieval-themed versions. But I hear they are just as good, if not better. Black Plague is arguably, uh, you know, people see as one of the best ones. But I'm going to stick to what I know. I've bought the the first three Zombie Side base games, two of which I kickstarted. I wish I'd known about the first one before it kickstarted, because there are some hilarious characters like Sean from Shaun of the Dead that I don't own. But you have basically a set of missions as your six characters, where you are basically playing like an unofficial version of The Walking Dead. You're trying to survive, scavenge for um, equipment and food, trying to find weapons whilst con- de- defeating hordes and hordes of zombies that come at you. I absolutely love this game. It's because I, I have so much. It's actually one of the few games where I went too far with Go Big or Go Home, which will make Jason laugh. You know, it, I tried to mix it all together to one game. I now had to go back and fix it all because the item decks and the zombie decks were like as high as a two litre bottle of drink you know you couldn't physically shuffle the damn things (laughs) but as long as you're sensible with it some of the expansions are really good it's it's all about moderation we talked about this when making our own expansions for games and stuff a few weeks back mixing expansions for a big game like this also plays into it um one of the mini expansions was a set of zombies called murder of crows which could move up to three spaces they're really designed that you get one or two of those maximum at the board at one go they're a really clever designed zombie you know that can do a lot of damage however if you don't shuffle the deck properly and you have too many of those come out on the board at one go they would just tear you to pieces and there's just you know it, it broke the game a bit when i've done things like that so scaling it back i've got zombie side 2.0 on the way really looking forward to that turning up because it fixes a lot of the things they've learned with black plague and the alien version that they did and um, you've got much neater player boards and things like that so once that arrives that'll be really interesting but again, I uh, it's an expensive game, but I can't stress for people enough, if you like co-op games and you like the zombie horror theme, this is a must-have. Yeah, and obviously that is a game that I now own myself. I haven't yet played it. It is very, very high on my to-play list, and I know Ian is chomping at the bit to get me to play that as well. Games, Unfo- I mean brains. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it, it's part of my my lifestyle i refuse to play games unless i've fully painted the miniatures which is half the reason that my pile of shame is so big oh lord don't see all of my version of zombie side <laughs> so yeah zombie side very very worthy of being on the list um i think that's another game that 
is it's the main focus of the evening, isn't it? It's oh, not it's a, a big game. You kind of want to get a group together and go through the campaigns as well. Each game comes with 10 missions itself, and then you add more and more with expansions. And there are custom ones that people have made, and the company themselves are made for printing as well. So, Okay, so before we move on to my very last one, and the reason we're, we're going to do this before my very last one is because I know for a fact that my last one is actually Ian's favourite horror game of all time. So we're we're going to leave that until afterwards. But we are going to now talk about some honourable mentions that were pretty close to making this list. And these are games that will come out pretty much every Halloween for us and times in between. Um, but they just weren't, they weren't in the top five. You know, they were in the top ten. Yep. So I'll start off with Gloom. So Gloom is a game where you've got some sort of like see-through cards where you all take control of a eccentric family of, mis- of misfits. And the goal of the game is sad but simple. You want your characters to suffer the greatest tragedies possible before passing on the well-deserved respite of death. So you have to find the worst ways to make your characters the most unhappy, miserable people possible, while everyone else is trying to make them happy by playing cards on top of each <laughs> other. Great game, very fairly quick, and is a really good laugh. Unfortunately, it's not one I have in my collection at the moment, but it's something I've played quite a lot and still still waiting to find the time to get hold of it okay so i am going to chuck in the honorable mention it's a game that we have talked about on this podcast before it's a game that we've played fairly recently as well and that is zombie dice again zombie dice is a nice quick game the reason it didn't quite make the list is i already had one game on here which were which was for the start or the end of an evening and it just didn't really knock the others off the perch so Zombie Dice, as we said, is a 5-10 minute dice-based game where players are... It's Essentially, it's a push-your-luck game, isn't yeah. it, really? You, you roll your dice and you need to get as many brains as possible without rolling three bites. If you roll three bites and you haven't essentially banked your brains that you've already got, you lose the lot. If you decide to bank your brains, it goes into your, your pool uh, of score and basically it's the first person to 13. Essentially, they will win the game providing no other players can best you before it gets back round to your turn so yeah really really good game very very quick very very cheap fantastic family game i'm gonna chuck it um just a genre in there um but with a specific game attached and that is the walking dead games again it's quite clear that i like my zombie themed stuff and i you know i love the walking dead anyway as a franchise i back all in on the walking dead no sanctuary pledge i'd have loved this to actually physically made my top five list the game itself is actually when we actually figured it out is really actually quite good however my huge gripe with this game is it literally has the worst rule book i have ever read and it is a real shame because again it's another one of those games that we've got two copies of you know you've got your monster copy i've got mine plus one expansion and neither of us get it to the table it's probably right at the bottom of the pile of shame which is really really upsetting because the game as you said once you get past the crud rule book is really good fun so those are our honourable mentions for the games that you should break out at Halloween. And we're now going to move on to my very last game that I would break out. And I think Ian has tweaked exactly what that game is going to be. And for me, finally, it is going to be Betrayal at House on the Hill. And all its variations. So for me, I've only played the box standard uh, version of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Um, and the game is for three to six players, age 12 and up. With a playtime of around 60 to 90 minutes, which I think is is pretty spot on. Uh, the game 
is a true dungeon crawler at heart. This game encompasses its horror theming fantastically and is immersive player elimination role-playing board game. It really does tick all the boxes and this is coming from someone who doesn't like role-playing. <laughs> so yeah, fantastic game. Players explore a haunted mansion, turning over tiles as they enter new locations, revealing what could be a library full of unthreatening books or a simple toilet filled with monsters. So it really is great. You never know what you're going to go into. And I love that about the game. I really, really do. The best thing about this game, though, for me, is that one of you does not belong and they will betray you. So for the most part, this is a cooperative game, but there is a betrayer amongst you. So the way this works, you have each character has four stats, two physical, two mental. They do vary for each character, and each character has two sides. So it's really got replayability value on it as well. You can move up to your movement value, and these these are on a sliding scale. So the more you beef your characters up, the better your stats become, and the more you can do, and vice versa. The more damage you take, the worse they become. As you explore the house, every time you reveal a room, if it has a symbol on it, you stop at that, you see your movement in that room and you resolve the symbol that's on the card. They will either have an item where you'll take an item from the item deck, an event where something spooky will happen, or an omen. And omens are ridiculously good items. However, once an omen's done, and once there's a certain amount done in the game, you would do a haunt roll. The reason I word it that way is the original game plays slightly differently to the more modern versions of it. Once the haunt roll has failed, that's when someone becomes a traitor. And you have a um, like missions book. And you follow your chart and um, for this traitor tome book. And you see which item was revealed in which room by which character. And that will tell you who the traitor is. So it might not even be the person that picked up that omen. And then from that point, you cast aside your traitorous scum. They must leave the room and they'll go and read the traitor's tome and read their, their, their particular mission of what they've got to do with a slight hint of what the rest of the players need to do to beat them. On the other side, the players have their own version of this book with what they've got to do to win the mission with a slight hint of what the traitor's trying to do to them. From that point out, you carry on with with either some of the most hilarious or ridiculous or deadly missions going on. We've all had one. There was one where we were all shrunk to tiny sizes and had to find a toy plane to escape. You know, we've had one where the house is sinking. We've had werewolves and vampires and zombies set after us. It's all really good fun, but each mission is um, different very creative there's 50 missions i think it is in the base game alone the there's an expansion that adds it to another 50 i have just purchased the legacy version which gives you 12 missions to play straight and then another copy of the game basically at the end with your own personalized house very very nice excellent game fantastic game i don't think there's a single person on earth that would disagree that this is halloween in a box it really is. It is a fantastic game. And because it's not overly gory, it's not too scary, it can be played with families as well. Obviously not young, young families. However, now there are variations that can. So before we go on to the family front, there's a and d variant with um, Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. And for the family market, there's a Scooby-Doo variant now as well. I've got to admit, I'm... I'm interested in the Scooby-Doo version. And obviously, as Ian has mentioned, there is now a legacy version as well. Anyway, guys, that is our lists. Whose list did you prefer? Do you know any of those games? Have you played any of those games? Which of us do you disagree with? Which of us do you agree with? Or do you agree with both of us? We would really, really love to know your opinions and 
why not give us your top five games that you would break out at Halloween? Let us know on any of our social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or YouTube by searching for the podcast, Recorded Gaming Community. You can even let us know on our Discord, which the link to that is on all of our social media websites. And now over to Crawley Gaming Community's own tragic horror story, Paul and Brian the Duck, for the weekly news. I know they're a bunch of wussies, aren't they? I mean, scary board games. What board games scare you, then? Echidna Shuffle? Why on earth would that scare anyone? Oh, oh, your ex was a hedgehog and it reminds you of her. Ah, Oh, in a bad way. You couldn't sit down for how long? Wow. Anyway, there was something I was meaning to point out to you. Have you noticed our internet connection has been pretty darn quick over the last few days? Even when Jason's using his hairdryer. What have you done? What do you mean you won't tell me? Plausible deniability? What are you on about? Yeah? Uh-huh. What? You've done what? Well, that'll explain it. So you've hacked into Nextdoor's fibre optic connection. I wonder what that cable coming in through the duck flap was. I'm going to say well done. Pretty pleased with yourself, aren't you? So where did you learn how to do that? YouTube. Understandable. Look, as long as you can hide that cable when they come in, I'm happy for it to stay. But if it gets discovered, it's all down to you. Mind you, Jason and Ian will probably want you to get them to wire them in too. Right, I'm going to get on with this news, okay? Over the past weekend, saw the delayed Essen Spiel take to the digital platforms to bring us the first ever Spiel Digital. Featuring all the latest from the gaming world and myself and Brian were privy to a couple of laid on demos and even managed to participate in one. Uh, We watched a live Twitch stream of a playthrough of Dice Theme Park being played on Tabletop Simulator with Simon, Ross and Caesar from Alley Cat Games as part of Spiel Digital. Dice Theme Park is a sequel to Dice Hospital and from the components looks very similar as too does the popular artwork. The central board features the monorail cards bringing in the coloured dice visitors with the value of the dice playing a higher factor in Dice Theme Park than it does in its hospital counterpart as well as the score track. Creating your own park on hexagonal tiles in front of you, they'll make up the entrance, amenities, landscape and of course rides, as well as playing staff cards from hands to enhance your abilities each turn. Tiles can be upgraded with things like merchandise stands, earning you extra money, drinks outlets, regenerating dice health and fireworks displays giving you bonus points. You move your acquired dice throughout the park and on each movement the dice will drop down one pip or value, activating tiles they finally land on. So consider the pips on the dice your your visitor's energy level. So dropping to a one means they'll be heading for the nearest exit. So the main strategy of the game comes from cleverly moving your dice throughout the park to make best use of the visitor's remaining energy whilst also adhering to the rules laid out on each of the tiles in order to activate them once they're there. 
Movement bonuses and mascot bonuses help out each turn with a dice movement with a chance to acquire more by careful placement of tiles within your park. After each round, points are totaled, money earned, movement tokens reactivated and staff cards circulated before continuing to the next round where you'll once again cough up money to expand your park and recruit new staff ready for the next round. That's not to say fans of Dice Hospital have been left out. Its latest expansion, Community Care, featuring three separate modules for the game all inside one box. We even managed to watch a demo playthrough featuring one of the new expansions, Maternity. The Maternity expansion, your hospital is equipped to facilitate the miracle of childbirth. The expansion introduced pink dice to the mix that get brought in by ambulance with the regular patients, but as we were told, you've got to try and keep them separate because you don't want the mummies getting poorly. As the normal patients attempt to recover, your pink mother dice prepare for birth. Once they are ready, a roll of the birthing dice brings both single or twins into the world in the form of Ickle Diddy Pink Dice! I know it's cute! It also brings the obvious new staff members and purchasable new rooms in order to cater for the new mothers. The other expansions we weren't privy to were the investment expansion and the city expansion. The investment expansion, you'll upgrade your hospital to better treat your patients. And the city expansion, you'll collect patients represented by the dice from the streets of the city to bring them to your hospital. The next game is one where we make Jason a little bit jealous. We managed to get a somewhat private 1v1 demo of the Power Rangers deck building game with Tyler from Meeple Mountain, who was hosting the room on behalf of Renegade Game Studios. Other people were supposed to have joined us, but in the end, with tech issues and such, what was meant to be a 2v2 ended up being a one-on-one -on -one affair. It was a standard deck building fair with starting decks filled out with pretty mediocre cards providing shards, the in-game currency and energy used to power your abilities. Your starting character, be it one of the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers or a variety of villains from the era, yep, you can also play as the villains too. The Rangers are trying to morph into their suited and booted selves before calling on their Mighty Zords and trying to reunite the set to form the Mighty Megazord and even go further and form the mightier Dragon Megazord. With Rita and her minions trying to call forth various lords to the playing field, all in a bid to beat each other into submission and drop your opposition down to zero health. Your characters have slots around them that various equipment, heroes and moves can be attached to make each subsequent turn more and more powerful, as well as adding additional abilities to your character's own. The market is always available to purchase items from for both sides, but beware as members of the opposition appear for your opponent to purchase, but left in the market attack you at the end of each turn bringing a unique twist and ensuring you keep your eye not just directed at your opponent. I was dropped into a game after a few turns had been taken as to speed up the demo, with Tyler taking the reins of Scorpina as I took on the role of Billy the Blue Power Ranger. Although I never got to a point to be able to morph or indeed call on my Zord, gameplay was swift, fun and engaging as we tapped away at each other's health, with my own even dropping to one health point at one point. Effective card drawing from my side with helpful hints from the host, it certainly went down to the wire with a final swing from me assisted by the Red Ranger, we called Scorpina a taxi and she made her way home. Although brief and with deck building being a particular favourite mechanic of mine, I thoroughly enjoyed my playthrough of the game and it's something I'd be interested in playing again when Jason buys it. Yeah, we know he's going to buy it, it's Power Rangers. 
with pre-orders going live on the Renegade Games Studios website on November the 11th, with the release date not yet confirmed, but it does have an MSRP of $45. Any pre-orders made on the website will come with exclusive pre-order bonuses that won't be available when it does reach retail. It will play with two to four players in either 1v1, 2v1 or 2v2 combinations and take roughly 30 to 60 minutes to play. With a plethora of content to draw upon, expansions are a definite and have actually been confirmed. Head on over to PowerRangersGaming.com forward slash get dash notified to sign up and get notified of the release. Or alternatively, get down to your FLGS and show an interest. Because of my playthrough and a good old chat with Tyler, we'd like to invite you to visit the Meeple Mountain website, where he and many others contribute to. The website features lots of previews, reviews, top lists, interviews, news and articles of everything gaming, together with a very strong community aspect that they are growing in their hometown of Nashville, USA. Media Mountain has various outlets on social media and YouTube that feature along with the website. Head on over to your preferred social and give them some love. We're going to head on over to Kickstarter now, and we've got a few for you. Sons of Feral, heading for Kickstarter on October the 28th for two to four players, taking between 90 and 120 minutes. Sons of Feral is a semi-cooperative strategic Euro game with multiple endings. Feral is a verdant land of forests, mountains and lakes, set at risk by the menace of corruption. All players have to face this threat while pursuing their individual achievements. If you fail to constrain the rise of corruption, everyone loses the game. Collecting the most achievements while avoiding this fatal outcome allows one player to win the game. Players guide different tribes of Weebits, the youngest sons of Feral. They are tiny and industrious humanoids with a common goal to preserve the environment from corruption and help the Great Guardians, the giant keeper animals that watch over the land since remote times. The customization of the Weebit heroes starts from the beginning with a selection of their tribe masks. Original items that can be worn by the minis. Each colour of these masks provides a different specialisation. New heroes can be dressed and upgraded during the game with the acquisition of perks, additional abilities that make every character unique. Weebits can become the most efficient helpers to the Great Guardians, mastering the knowledge of nature and learning to fight corruption. As an additional thrill to the game, Jason's going to love, one player can choose to change sides, get corrupted and gain the corruption sour as a new hero, becoming able to win in the event corruption defeats all the others. On October the 31st is Cute Alien Nation. All those tiny hedgehogs, begging puppies, playful kittens wearing knitted mittens. It's enough to alienate a full-grown sane person. And no wonder, since this was their purpose all along. By taking the shape of harmless, adorable animals, these vicious aliens have been secretly working to invade Earth ever since the dawn of the internet. And now they are finally showing their true nature as they prepare to deal humanity the final blow. They are cute. We are doomed, except for a single human. Will it be you? Cute Alien Nation is an action strategy card game for three to five players, aged seven and up, and in which players use cards to defend against cuteness attacks and to gain advantages over the other players. When a player draws a special cuteness card, it triggers a separate game mode called a cuteness attack, in which the player must confront the cuteness using a set of defensive cards. If the cuteness wins, the player dies and is removed from the game. If the cuteness is defeated, the player survives the attack and keeps on playing. The winner is the last player left alive. Simple. 
another game out on November the 2nd is Battle Scars. Battle Scars is a fast-paced, high-impact tabletop minis strategy board game. Disputes arise and they need settling. Recruit an operator, select hot swappable equipment to adjust during precarious combat situations. Make tough choices with tight resource management and cripple your opponents with devastating damage events. All of that coupled with dynamic initiative utilised round over round, you'll measure the advantages and quickly discover some of the disadvantages of shooting first and or shooting last. A winner will be immediately declared after a player obtains 7 victory points. So, test your metal and earn your battle scars. Back in late July, Jason sent me a single image of a miniature. That miniature was the one and only Harry Potter astride a broom in flight, reaching for what could only be a golden snitch. A second image appeared a few weeks later of Harry's nemesis Malfoy astride his broom, both characters weren't in school robes but in Quidditch cloaks. With this being the only information to go on until now, even board game geek has come up blank with any info, but Knight Models, famous for introducing us to Harry Potter's miniature game, will be releasing either models for Quidditch as a new expansion to the miniatures game, or, and the more likely of the two, is a brand new game heading for Kickstarter. The only thing we can tell you now is it's going live on the 5th of November. And we move on to some gaming events now. Jason and Ian would love to see you all on Wednesday, again, for Gaming at the Comic Shop, running between 6 and 10 at the Comic Shop, 42 High Street, Crawley, RH10, 1BW, at £3 a head, with refreshments available on site. And we've got Dave over in Lewis on Thursday night. He'd love for you to attend Trinity Gaming Cafe and Lewis Board Games Club evening between 7.30 and 11.30 at Trinity Church, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7 2QA. Again, they're at £3 a head and with refreshments available on site. Ransack Board Game Lounge and Escape Rooms in Worthing also have their doors open late on a Thursday for Worthing Board Gamers from 7 till 10 Thursday evenings let gamers play at a reduced rate from weekdays at just £2 per person, with a selection of hot and cold food and drinks available for purchase. You can head down to 24-26 to Portland Road, Worthing, BN111QN. Again, it's best to head on over to ransack.co.uk to book you a table, as space is limited. That's all from The Shed this week. So it's a goodbye from him. And a goodbye from me. Stay safe and stay gaming. Thank you, Paul, and thank you, Brian, for the news. And thank you guys very much for joining us this week while we've been talking about our favourite games that we like to break out during the Halloween season. If you did enjoy what you heard today, please do leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you listen to this on. You can leave us comments on any of our social media sites, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or if you've been watching this on YouTube, whack a little comment down in the comments section. Anyway, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. Do you have anything else you'd like to add this week, Ian? No, just stay well, stay safe and look after yourselves. I couldn't agree with you more. Have a great Halloween out there, guys. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Game safe and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.